Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Welcome to Life Happens. Are you prepared? This is our weekly radio program for baby boomers and their families, where we address the challenges we all face as we age. We talk about aging as a lifestyle, the issues that must be confronted, and the careful planning that's required to avoid crises in the future. Life Happens will provide you with the tools to educate and prepare yourself for events like retirement, protecting your income and assets, planning to pay for nursing home and home care, special needs, wills and trusts, planning for an untimely death, and resolving disputes in and out of court. As the laws and necessities for planning and care continue to evolve, Life Happens will help you make smart decisions so your goals and your family's goals are met. Good morning, everyone. I'm Aaron Connor from Pure Connor and Strauss, uh, joined by my associate, Jacob Virtuau. Jacob, good morning. Good morning, Aaron. Uh, so many of you may have heard our uh, special education show, which I guess was about a month ago now, right? It was. Time flies. And uh, that was uh, Jacob's first foray into the, <laughs> the radio world. Uh, we have him back today. We're going to talk about um, some litigation type topics because Jacob and myself, that's let's say 80% of what we do is litigating certain things. Um, You know, as, as we said, the last show, Jacob has a specialty in that special education area, which I certainly do not have, but um, we spent a lot of time uh, litigating surrogate court matters, guardianships, um, related type things. Sometimes they involve businesses. They can involve all sorts of things, really. And that's the thing about our practice area, right, Aaron? There's a lot of crossover, a lot of overlap into uh, the other areas of the law. The, you know, when somebody is getting ready for end-of-life care or mm-hmm. when they are, uh, uh, you know, when they pass away, they leave, uh, you know, uh, marital assets. So we have a little bit of overlap into that. We right. get into business because they leave businesses behind and we have to deal with that. So a lot of crossover. Yeah, and I... I I, one thing I can say with a surety is that the biggest messes left behind are the messes that are unplanned, right? That there are no, is no plan for when people uh, pass away, right? Because a lot of people like to come in the office and say, if I pass away, well, let's just be honest about it. It's not an if, it's a when, right? No one has, uh, as far as I know, been able to live forever. So um, we have to be prepared. Hopefully we all get to live a long and very happy and fulfilled life, but we, we have to have a plan in place. Um, that plan can be simple, it can be complex, it can be in the middle, um, but some plan is better than the lack of a plan. I, I think one thing that people are often startled to learn is that if you're a married couple and you have no will and there are assets in one spouse's name alone and that spouse dies, they don't go on 100% to the wife. And, and that can be very startling to people. Right. And, you know, Aaron, that's something that can be easily uh, avoided, uh, you know, even without dealing with wills and estate planning, uh, simply by doing things like joint bank accounts uh, and, and you know, having uh, your accounts set up so that one, one, you know, your spouse does die or when you die that the, uh, you know, it's automatically already in the name of, of the surviving spouse. And um, I think that's important to, you know, recognize that there are tools uh, outside of probate that, that can be very useful uh, for end-of-life planning. They can be joint titled. They can be done by beneficiary designation. Um, rarely, not very common, but we see two people who are married that owned property before they got married, and they own it as what's called tenants in common, which uh, is a problem because if you're a tenant in common, your interest in the property goes to your estate, not to the other person. Now, lots of times that's what's wanted, right? If a brother and a sister own a property or two unrelated people own a property as tenants in common, they don't want the survivor to take the entire interest. That That's common and, and well thought out. But sometimes, not, as I said, it's not a common thing, but it is worth looking at. If you own property together before you got married, you, you may want to look at pull the deed out and see how you own it it may say tenants in common if it says joint tenants then 
you d- you have a right of survivorship, meaning that the survivor will take the entire interest. Yeah, and that's a misconception. I think a lot of people just assume that if you have, uh, you know, you've been married for 30, 40, 50 years, uh, and, and, you know, in your minds, you've had that property for your entire marriage, uh, but you forget that, you know, if you owned that prior to the marriage, uh, that can get complicated, um, and, and it may not flow uh, directly to your spouse, and that can create, uh, you know, room for disputes over, over the value of what's left behind, yes. and uh, that's what you and I, uh, you know, get involved in a lot, um, you know, on both sides of it, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, I've mentioned this case before, but one of my favorite examples of that is um, house was only in dad's name, dad dies, um, so mom under the statute gets the first 50,000 in value plus half of the remainder of the, the estate. So I think that was one of the craziest deeds we ever did. It was like, you know, 63.35% of this house mom owns. But she had, I believe, six children and five of the children signed their interest in the estate over to mom in the house and the other child wanted to be paid for it. So mom had to buy out a fractional interest from her own child because there was no will. And that was probably not the the, the deceased spouse plan. <laughs> I would think not. You know, and 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 it's unfortunate that um, when people get put in that position where they they, they receive that letter in the mail uh, from the court uh, or get served those papers and they right. say, "Wait, I have an interest uh, in this property," and uh, you know that prompts them to come meet with an attorney, and and sometimes they choose to. Uh, to, 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 to take that, that battle into court and, uh, and, and, and try to get something out of it. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate sometimes when you know that's not what the plan was Correct. for the deceased. Well, I think it's important to note that we're very good at what we do, but there are certain things we can't do, right? Once, once somebody dies without a will, the statute controls who gets what, right? So we can negotiate things. We can, you know, try to make the situation more malleable than it is. Generally, we're fairly successful at that more than fairly but um there's un, you can't unring the bell right you can't go back and make it look like there was a will that would have left everything to the surviving spouse which is that part of it is very simple right so main assets that we see go to probate on a regular basis are property and business interests that are not or businesses if you will uh, that are not structured in a way that are planned for Right. Lots of lots of bank accounts go to probate. But again, depending on your situation, hopefully you've got out front, you've done a trust, you've either done an irrevocable trust because you're looking to get protect your assets for long term care purposes, or you've done a revocable trust because you want to avoid probate. Maybe you have long term care insurance. Maybe you're at a wealth level that the long term care planning doesn't make sense. But you've stayed out of probate altogether. So your bank accounts are going to whomever you say in the trust. In the situations where we do an irrevocable trust, there's always going to be at least a bank account left outside. Because even if people are on Medicaid, they're allowed, as of this year, to have $16,900 in assets. Their income needs to flow into a bank account if they're on Medicaid. So they're always going to have a bank account out there. But it's important to have uh, a beneficiary designation on that bank account. Because if someone has received Medicaid services... Whatever is left into an estate is going to be glommed on to by the government because they've laid out a lot of money and they're allowed to recover against an estate. They're not allowed to recover against things that don't go to an estate. So that's why you want to use a trust. That's why you want to have a beneficiary designation. You want to make sure that things are lined up. We've seen life insurance go to an estate. That's a disaster, right? Most of that is because people have not updated their beneficiary designations. Um, so if your husband passes away and he is the primary beneficiary on your life insurance, you need to make sure that you have a secondary beneficiary, whether that's your kids, a charity, you know, your neighbor, whatever. It's, you need to have that on there because it's really just foolish for that to go to probate. Yeah, and you've just touched upon a, <clears throat> an important point that I wanted to raise, which is that you've got to keep these documents updated yes. because, you know, we just talked about the importance of, of planning. Uh, but what we also see sometimes uh, are that people who planned, but it was 30 or 40 years ago, right. and they've never updated it. So by the time they pass away, uh, the the plan that they put in place 30 or 40 years earlier is not necessarily what they would have wanted at the end of their life. 
and you uh, you see some property flow uh, some interesting ways. For sure. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people uh, do a will early on. They might not have children. They leave stuff to siblings, okay? Um, we have a very interesting case, I think, that we can get into when we come back uh, about a, an old will, shall we say. Um, but Jacob and I are going to continue to talk about topics in the litigation area but if you have a question about anything that we do planning medicaid feel free to give us a call at 1-800-TALK-WGY that's 1-800-825-5949 and we'll be back after this okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Life Happens Radio. It's a smooth jams kind of Saturday. I like it. Um, so I'm Aaron Connor from Piero Connor and Strauss, joined by uh, my associate Jacob Richerow. We are talking about, I guess, poor planning that leads to litigation. Talking about the need to update things. Um, so we've seen some pretty interesting cases over the years. Um, recently, we had a situation where a will was done a long time ago. Let's put it that way. Uh, you know, I did uh, see something startling. I saw, I don't know if it was a meme or whatever, but somebody said that they wanted to talk about something 30 years ago. And then my brain went to the 70s and they meant 1992, which was pretty painful. But <laughs> sadly true. Um, but so this will was actually older than that, I will say. Uh, done at a time in a person's life where they had a significant other. And they wanted to benefit that person. And it may or may not be what they wanted to do at the end of their life, right? We, we'll never know. They may have wanted to make changes. They may want wanted to still benefit this person or not. Again, no way to really know that. But you can't go into court and be like, well, this will is old, so I didn't mean it. Or he didn't mean it. (laughs) Even the old will. It was duly executed. Uh, It's validly signed and and witnessed. It is a valid will. So uh, whether or not this uh, decedent uh, intended to continue to to distribute uh, uh, the property uh, that was in the estate through this will or not, um, it doesn't really matter, right? When it it comes to the law. Right. It does not. So even though the, 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 you know, to, to, uh, Keep it general. The uh, decedent had uh, uh, presumably uh, drifted apart from the primary beneficiary uh, under this will uh, over the years, and and there's a lot of question as to uh, you know what what the what the plan would have been had it been updated. Because I think the the emphasis that we're trying to make here is it was great that this individual had the forethought when he was younger to to develop a will and 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 to have that in place, um, but you know leaving it behind and, and, and seemingly forgetting about it uh, for decades, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it leaves just as much complication now as, as it was intended to prevent when it was originally uh, uh, prepared. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, these things are complicated. Uh, the process of just filing a will is complicated. Some people can do it on their own if it's very kind of simple and it's there's not a lot of beneficiaries. And But I, I, I would strongly suggest that a lawyer should be involved when these things are done if you want to get it done in a timely manner and on the first try. Um, but the probate process is there to admit the last validly executed will to probate. So that could be an hour before someone died or it could be 50 years before someone died. Um, now, proving an older will can be difficult. It really depends on how it was executed and whether there's what's called an attesting witness affidavit because without that, you have to go kind of try to track that down. Or you may, if it's a competing situation, you may have people demand to examine these witnesses who, in a very old will, may be gone. Right. Uh, I think the oldest will I've seen recently that got admitted was from the, uh, the mid to late 70s. Uh, I also had someone uh, not too long ago bring in a will that someone decided to essentially annotate on their own and initial and then uh, change that and annotate over it. And they wanted to know if we should bring this will to probate. And ultimately, the decision was not to because it was a situation where the same people were going to take under intestacy in the same ratios. Uh, and it was going to be very difficult to get a will <laughs> that had been marked up three or four times, initialed or not, um, to probate. And that's an interesting point as well, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, um, even, even with planning, uh, sometimes and often I think we see that wills actually are designed often to mirror intestate succession, right? right? Generally, you want to go look first to the spouse, a surviving spouse. If the surviving spouse isn't there, generally we see that the property, the, the decedent wants it to flow to the kids next. Right. Um, but it's important to understand intestate succession to decide whether that's something that you would in fact want because we often uh, work with uh, individuals and, and, and families um, who uh, don't have close relationships or, or in fact have very nasty relationships with people who would stand to inherit uh, through intestate. Uh, and, and it's important, e- even more important in those situations uh, to have a, a proper will in place to ensure that, uh, uh, that it's not gonna flow to them through, through intestate. Yeah, and a lot of people don't think about the unfortunate things that can happen, right? They might just say, I'm going to leave this to my kids, right? Well, if your kids don't have kids and something happens, we may be in a situation where someone you don't want to have take takes, right? So this is a discussion I have on a daily basis. Do your kids have kids? Well, a lot of times one of them has kids and another one doesn't. Sometimes there's plenty of grandkids, so it's not a big worry. Some people don't want their money to go to their grandkids based on whatever relationship factors there are. But if there's a short tree, let's say, you have to think about what happens if people aren't left. So if someone has one child and no grandchildren and they die, it would go to their parents first, all right? Unmarried or widowed, okay? Obviously, if they have a spouse, the spouse would be the taker. But Or beyond that, it can go to their siblings. And I've had this conversation with a number of people and they said, I absolutely do not want to go to my siblings or this sibling. Uh, I want it to go to this sibling, but not that sibling. And that is all something that you have to figure out in the first instance, because the catch-all, what we call remote contingent paragraph, just says half to one side, half to the other, which is essentially what would happen anyway. But if there are people in that catch-all that you wouldn't want to have be takers, then, then we need to figure that out. And, and Aaron, that's where the litigation comes in, right? Yes. Uh, you've just mentioned, uh, you know, various. Unfortunately, a lot of what we do uh, uh, with the litigation stuff uh, is interfamily uh, disputes. Yes. Uh, so a lot of the, uh, you know, the titles, so to speak, that Aaron was just referencing, you know, um, uh, children, uh, cousins, nephews. Uh, th- these are unfortunately, uh, you know, when a will gets probated, somebody passes away somebody introduces the will to probate, any interested party has to receive notice that that, that will has been put into uh, into probate. That's right. And, and by giving them notice, essentially what the court is saying is, if you object to what is alleged, uh, you know, the, uh, how this will is supposed to be distributed, um, speak up now. 
and, and, and that comes in the form of litigation. Um, you know, people will dispute and argue that, uh, that they have an interest uh, that's not being you know, represented uh, uh, by the person who probated the will. Uh, and that leads to, um, you know, they're called objectants in, 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 our, in our world. Uh, and these are individuals that are uh, uh, um, you know, claiming that they uh, stand to inherit uh, under, under a will or, or perhaps arguing that the will is invalid and, and that, they're, that they want it to flow. Uh, via intestate right so in in a lot of situations we people call us and they've received this what's called waiver and consent or they've actually signed it and sent it in once you do that you have very very little chance of getting back into the the game if you will um a waiver can be undone but only really for like fraud and duress so it's very difficult. So if you've presented with a waiver and you have any thought about something fishy might be going on or something might not be right, you need to speak to an attorney before you do anything. Because that's what that waiver is, right? You're actually yes. waiving your interest to and, – and in doing so, it means you know, I, I'm agreeing that I can no longer object or have any say in, in how this estate is going to be distributed. That's right. You're saying that this will is valid and – I'm out or I'm maybe a beneficiary under it. Maybe I'm not right. So what happens in the notice process is all the people who would potentially be beneficiaries under intestacy get noticed. And so it's in their interest, perhaps that the will might go down, right? So if you have an uncle who dies and some cousins of yours are benefiting and others are not, maybe you're not, then it may be in your best interest for the will not to be admitted to probate. Now, that doesn't mean you have a case, <laughs> so, right? Right. It might be in your pecuniary interest, meaning that you would get money if that happened. But generally speaking, the older a will is, the harder it is to take down because it's harder to show that there was any incompetency or fraud or duress at a given time, especially 10 years ago. Uh, you know, and medical records of 10 years ago are probably not going to show what we need them to show. Um, and, even if a will is done close to death, it doesn't mean it's necessarily invalid. Wills supervised by an attorney are much more likely to stand up in court as well. So if you have an internet will signed by your neighbors, not saying it won't get admitted because we have admitted some of them, but I, I strongly suggest that you not do that because there are a number of provisions missing from there. They could be minor's trust. They could be backup people. They're just things that should be discussed. Maybe your brother that you hate would end up getting your money because you haven't consulted with somebody who knows what they're doing. But there's a lot of reasons to get a goodwill. Um, but all of those things matter when that waiver and consent comes to you. Right. And, and, and I think, you know, can't put enough emphasis on having the will properly executed because unfortunately... Uh, especially in today's litigious world, uh, we can't stop an interested party from objecting to a will, even if that will is is beautifully written, you know, proper proper language, properly executed. If an interested party receives notice, and, and they can technically object. So what we're hoping when we do the planning side of things is to make sure that we have a, a tight knit properly executed and valid will in place uh, that has the witnesses that are necessary so that when you know when the valid uh, uh, validation of the will gets put on the floor that you're able to uh, present witnesses and and prove that that is exactly what the decedent uh, wanted correct now we have we, we only have about a minute here before the break but we have a number of cases in the in the office where Wills have been validly executed, but um, a beneficiary is uh, angry. Um, perhaps they have mental issues. Uh, you know, you, do, you you don't can't really say, but um, certain certainly certain behaviors look to be abnormal. I think I could say that fairly. It's sometimes it's the last jab at the decedent if they didn't have a good relationship. Right. Just saying, I'm going to intervene and object uh, to your to your wishes. Yes, there's a, in uh, family uh, contests like these, there are a lot of emotions, and we're going to talk about some of those. We'll talk more about the will case. We have an interesting prenuptial case that I think we need to talk about, too, because everybody dislikes their stepmother. But um, if you have a question, 
You can give us a call when we come back at 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 1-800-825-5949. I'm Aaron Connor from Pure Connor and Strauss, and we'll be back after the news. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Life Happens Radio. I'm Aaron Connor from Pure Connor and Strauss, joined by Jacob Bertrand. We are talking about items, things that lead to litigation, um, and <laughs> there's certainly no shortage of it. I can say that uh, we do a number of consults every week about litigation cases. Um, Unfortunately, I would say 80% of litigation cases are not good cases. It's just the way it is, and we have to give people bad news. But we, the only way to know that is to talk to a lawyer, certainly. And we advise certainly getting some legal advice before you make a decision about whether you're going to walk away from something or not. Um, there may be things that you don't know that, that are important. So um, we've been talking about some, some of our... I don't know that we have any really run-of-the-mill type cases. War but, stories might yeah, be the, uh, yes. the appropriate term for that. Yeah, I think that's good. Certainly certainly battling in these cases. Um, we talked about a case where there was an old will, and that will does not benefit the family, the, the um, genetic people. Um, so certainly in a case like that, they would have a motivation to try to go after an estate. Um, all of these decisions are really economic decisions at the end of the day because um, I think most people know this but we we don't take estate work on a contingency basis right every once in a while someone comes and they're like well can you take this on a and the answer to that is absolutely not we have to put way too much work in before we would even know whether that would be possible and in these types of cases that may may lead to a settlement if we did it on that type of aid, that would not benefit, be really of great benefit to the client. We're, you know, it puts the lawyer kind of at odds of wanting to get paid, right? And they may recommend something. So we do all of these on an hourly basis, which, you know, I understand is, can be a burden. But when I vet these cases, I make sure that there is going to be a benefit to the client at the end of the day, right? So there has to be enough at issue where we can go in maybe complete vindicated victory, maybe settlement, right? Where it's still going to be beneficial to the client. And that's very important to me because we're not here to, to take your money and then give you essentially the same amount of money back because that the emotional toll that these cases can take is, is very important. Right. And, you know, um, we get paid to be objective, yes. right? So it's important when, when people come to us, uh, they're emotional. There's an emotional connection to uh, perhaps the family home, uh, a lot of sentimental value. Um, it's it's Aaron and my job to look at that and, and filter through the emotions and say, is it going to be worth this individual spending X 
amount of money uh, on this uh, potential litigation uh, to justify, uh, you know, the value that may be left in the in the home. Um, maybe the home is only valued at a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, but it holds a significant amount of sentimental value. Uh, unfortunately, at the end of a lot of these uh, probate litigation matters, uh, the, the house no longer exists in the form of a brick-and-mortar house. Oftentimes, the court or the parties will decide that, that the home needs to be sold because it's easier to, to, to distribute value uh, in dollar amounts, right? You can't split a house in, in 50-50 and say, you take the bottom floor and over here we'll give you the top floor. That doesn't work. So uh, often uh, the primary assets will be sold uh, and, and, and put into uh, an estate account, uh, and, then, and then the argument or the litigation is over, over the money that's left in that account. So it's important to weigh legal fees against uh, the value, uh, uh, the actual monetary value, uh, and try to, try to work past that sentimental stuff. So we have a caller. We have Mark in Albany. Good morning, Mark. Hi, how are you? Good. What can we do for you? My question to you is, what can be done when the administrator of an estate fails to pay the property taxes on the real property of the estate? Okay, so... A fiduciary um, matter. That's right. So that's a good point. Jacob, why don't you just explain that briefly? Uh, so first of all, you use the term administrator uh, as opposed to executor. Right. So I, I just want to clarify, right. right? So when we talk about administrator, uh, for the listeners, an administrator is one who uh, is a fiduciary, meaning that they're left in charge uh, uh, of the interests of the estate. They have to put the interests of the estate uh, over their own personal interests. So even if they stand to inherit some of this, they have to put the interests of the estate first. An administrator uh, is the title given to somebody, the fiduciary that handles the estate when there's no will. If we do have a will, that person's title is executor. All right. So our caller mm -hmm. Mark here, his question is, you know, when when we don't have a will and we have somebody pass away, and we have uh, uh, brought this into court, and an administrator has been appointed by the court. It's that person's responsibility to make sure that things like property taxes, uh, uh, debts, any liabilities are being paid out of the estate. Uh, when you, uh, well, we, there's a various tools that we can implement when when the administrator is not doing that. One that we've done in the past is actually petition the court uh, to remove that administrator and to insert somebody who is uh, is more. Uh, responsible and, and going to handle that fiduciary duty uh, with more care. Um, but even would that have to be one of the beneficiaries that would have to do that? Uh, generally, it'd be an yes. interested party. Yeah. So the, the other options are demanding an accounting, right? So one of the questions will be um, are there liquid funds in the estate? Okay. Because if there aren't any liquid funds, that gets tricky. All right. For just paying. the property. Yeah, just the property. So I mean, the administrator does not have a responsibility to take their own money and pay the property taxes, right? So in a case like that, I don't know if the house is listed for sale, but it would be important to, no. to liquidate that asset unless it's right. going to one person, you know. And, and then they're now, there's pay. a law firm that's handling uh, this person's uh, administration of the estate. How, how do they overlook it? Do they pay attention to what's going on at well, yeah, they would be advising that person about what they need to do. So in a situation where there's right. just a property, um, if that person's been appointed, they should be making sure the property is prepared for sale to the best of their ability, um, You know, hiring a real estate agent because that estate is not going to move forward until that asset has been turned into you know, cash, essentially. So the property should basically be sold to pay off those taxes. It, it, yeah, you can't close an estate if you have debts if they're not paid, right? right? So the and if there's no money to be had, then you really don't have any other option other than selling the property. Or in some cases right. it might be advisable to to depending on the circumstances of the property and and you know, now we start getting into the complicated nature of mortgages and 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 you know, whether there's loans no or, or liens on this property. Okay. Well, in that situation, then if there's no money uh, for the administrator to use to to pay those property taxes, then generally you look at a at a sale. Um, but if there, right. you know, um, 
in some situations, and again, you know, every case is individualized, right? Uh, you know, it may at times be advisable to just say, hey, we're, we are just going to sit and let this be foreclosed on because it, it makes the most business sense uh, sometimes. Not always, of course. Yeah, it doesn't sound like in this case that's the case. But that we actually now, the have only given beneficiaries that are for the estate are minors. Okay, so there should have been then a guardian ad litem appointed for them, a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that person really should be saying, hey, this should be moving along because that person is right. charged with the representation of those beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. So, Should if, the attorney that's handling the state be notified if they're not paying attention? Well, I mean, I'd, I would think that the best approach in that situation would be to talk to the attorney that was appointed the guardian ad litem and, and to get them to talk to the attorney running the estate because they really, they're charged with that representation. Otherwise, anybody else who's saying that is really not an interested party and doesn't have standing to make the argument. Right. So those okay, are a little, very much. absolutely great question. Thanks for calling in, Mark. Um, you know, I think now's a good time to say that if you have a question that you don't want to talk about on the air or you need a consultation, you can always call us at the office at 518-459-2100. All right, let me say that again a little more clearly, 518-459-2100. Or you can send us an email at info at com. That's P-I-E-R-R-O law.com. And we can vet that and maybe we'll have a consultation. Maybe it'll be something we just answer very quickly, but... Um, Always good to know what your legal options are. Because even in a case like that, which seems very straightforward, there's wrinkles, right? How often do we have uh, people come in and meet with us? Uh, They're quite certain that they believe they understand where things are going to go. They bring in paperwork to us. We take a look at it and say, ooh, you know. Did you notice this or do you know what the relevance uh, or importance of this particular provision or the dynamic, like we talked about uh, briefly earlier, the dynamic between a will and a prenuptial agreement, for example, um, you know, right. an individual I think may that's a- where we should go now. Sure. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, it, it you have to recognize that a, a will uh, is, is, you know, similar to a contract. It it it. it governs has terms and conditions and 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 interplay with other contracts so another type of contract would be a, a prenuptial agreement that that you know uh, uh, two spouses may enter into um, either before their marriage and then of course we deal with postnuptial agreements where uh, one spouse may come into an inheritance during the marriage and enter into an agreement like that and uh, I think there's a, a lot of um, uh, Individuals think and, 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 and assume that the will uh, takes precedent there and that whatever you've put into the will is going to distribute the property. Um, but that is not the case. Uh, actually, in New York, a validly constructed and, and, and proper prenuptial agreement uh, will supersede uh, the will in most cases. Yes. And in today's world, we see more and more second marriages. We see more blended families. Um, I see a lot of marriages that occur later in life, all right? So I think in a lot of cases, just based on what I've seen, all right, so anecdotal evidence is not anything that I've done any kind of study on, but when kids grow up together in a blended family, they have a little bit more camaraderie, they feel for each other, not every time, but more than if they don't, right? If uh, mom marries uh, somebody else when they're you know, 55, 60 years old, you have no relationship with that person's children, all right? They might be generations It could be very, absolutely. decades apart in age. Very true. Well, we, we've seen a number of clients who have married a, usually a man marrying a woman who's like the age of their children, which comes with its own bucket of, of issues. But, but, but I think that's a very practical uh, way of showing the dynamic, right? You know, right. Suddenly, your uh, children are the same age or close to your your spouse, and and this to them that's that that when you know upon marriage becomes their stepmother, right? And and uh, what I think we see is during life they get along just fine, uh, but a, a lot of emotions soar uh, right there at, at the end. And, the gloves are off at the end for right, sure. Exactly. So it's important. We recommend that people do prenups all the time, right? I would say probably ten to fifteen percent of the people we recommend them to actually do them. 
and the thing about prenups is, is again, I think a, 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 a miss view of, of prenups is that they're designed to prevent the the spouse from taking or inheriting but in fact at times they do exactly the opposite that's right and you know a prenup is like any other contract it's negotiated terms right um you generally should have a lawyer on both sides which and see i think that's part of it that where people don't really want to get like they don't want to be adversarial but if you have assets especially if you have business assets you you really need to have a prenup because first of all your spouse may know nothing about running the business that you have right and they may not be the person that should be inheriting the interest now they might be inheriting value that's that's a different story right and there may be insurance that's the good for that side purpose, of things right? right but you want to think all of that out but you don't necessarily want your spouse running a business that other people are involved in or you know being part owner of a business generally speaking if you own a business with other people i'm virtually certain they don't want your spouse in the business so right um, and you also don't want your spouse to inherit your your business's debts and liabilities. Correct. So just you know, well, we, we we talk a lot about an inheritance being in the positive, right? Um, but when somebody uh, passes away uh, and they and they're left, they're leaving a debt behind. Uh, those creditors, those people who are owed money, they still want their money. And it, you know, if if a prenup isn't written the right way, uh, or or if it's not otherwise planned for, uh, it can leave individuals, uh, you know losing out on some of their inheritance or being left with liabilities and debts. So we see prenups get entered into uh, to avoid, uh, uh, you know, inheriting debt for the surviving spouse. Yeah. And it's also important you know, tangentially to what we're talking about, but important nonetheless to ha- incorporate, right? So if you have an LLC and you pass away, you're, the LLC is only liable to the extent of its own assets, right? Your personal assets don't come into play. And if you're a DBA, though, you're personally liable for everything. And that, that may be some joint assets. Or if you're trying to leave somebody an asset that's just in your name alone, your debts are going to get applied against that asset. So it's important to have a plan, obviously. Um, but if you have a business interest, it, it really does need to be in a corporate form. And, and this conversation cer- certainly uh, demonstrates the overlap of, of various areas of the law. You know, right. we're talking about uh, probate or, or uh, you know, uh, the estate when somebody passes away, uh, and, and then we're also uh, overlapping it with you know business orgs and entity formation and, and, and keeping those records up to date as well. Right? You've got operating agreements if you yep. have an LLC, and that's going to you know another form of a contract that's going to sort of be the the planning and and, and the direction directives on how the LLC gets operated and what happens under those circumstances. And then we also talk, talk about prenups and how that can now suddenly come in. That's sort of a, you know, almost a matrimonial uh, sure. bad word around uh, our offices, not something that we generally uh, uh, get involved in, but there's a, a lot of overlap with the matrimonial and family uh, uh, stuff it, with these other areas of the law. Absolutely. So I think we'll continue to talk about that when we come back, but we do have one last break to take. If you do have a question, we do have time for uh, at least one more question and give us a call at 1-800-WTALK-WGY or 1-800-825-5949. And we'll be back after this. Welcome back to Life Happens Radio. I'm Aaron Connor from Piero Connor and Strauss, joined by Jacob Bridgerow. We're talking about litigation and uh, crossover where we see it quite often, with which is with stepmom. Um, I'd like to say that there are people out there who like their stepmom, and I'm sure there are a few, but they don't generally come to our office. Right. We, um, we only see the worst of the worst, uh, you know, when it comes to disputes. Yeah. So, just going to briefly touch on this, but there is also something to be said for if you are a person of means and you're getting divorced, you need to think about your estate plan. Um, lots of times, there's insurance that needs to be maintained. They're uh, on your life, whether that's permanent or term. There may need to be a trust for that. We oftentimes need to see a divorce decree when we're doing a plan for someone because if we, if there are assets that still have to be transferred at death, which does happen sometimes, or a portion of X or Y or Z needs to go, um, we need to see that. So if you're a person of means getting divorced, you really need to consult an estate planning attorney at the same time because there may be provisions of your divorce decree that might not be beneficial long-term. Um, there are lots of great divorce lawyers out there it has nothing to do with that it's not their specialty we just like 
it's be very much worth it to at least have a consultation and a review of that to see see where you're at and see how that's going to affect your estate plan. Um, but we were talking about prenuptial agreements, and prenuptial agreements are important. They're important for estate planning purposes. In a lot of cases, they're going to protect the spouse that you leave behind. They're going to ensure that you, the will contest isn't really the meat of the issue, right? Um, because to essentially undo a prenuptial agreement, you're going to be arguing all the same things that you would be about a will, that it was fraud or duress, right? Or somehow incapacitated. But that, I, I'm not even sure, unless you're Anna Nicole Smith and you married like a 99-year-old guy. Well, maybe, all right? But in general terms, that's not what we're looking at. And, Jacob, the standard for fraud or duress is, is pretty high. Right. It's actually higher than the, than the standard for most civil actions. Uh, generally, we uh, in civil litigation, we're looking to prove beyond the, quote, preponderance of the evidence, uh, which, uh, you know, I think uh, most attorneys would agree. It's uh, trying to prove that it's more likely than not that, that, that one thing occurred versus another. Right. But when we deal with fraud, when we deal with uh, uh, things of deceit that involve uh, a concept called mens rea, we actually, you know, Aaron and I, in, in this type of litigation, we actually have to prove what was going on in the mind of, of that individual. We have to prove that they actually intended by whatever they were doing, you know, omitting a fact or misrepresenting, uh, um, you know, a, a particular fact or detail, that they intended to actually be trying to deceive the other party into entering into into the contract or, or coercion, right? We, we get coercion a lot too, um, you know, trying to put uh, unlawful pressure on somebody to, uh, to to enter into the agreement. But We do have one more call. Lisa, good morning. How? What can we do for you? Lisa, are you there? Yeah. Good morning. I can't hear you. All right. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like that's working out at the moment. But um, as we were talking, the the standard to upset a prenup is is high, right? So if you if you have planning that you want done, you can do it in the form of a prenup, which doesn't mean you don't need a will, right? Because you're probably not disposing all of your assets by that. But um, it can be very important, and it can be there to protect your spouse, and if you you know go early. Um, a lot of times they're looked at as protecting the other person, right? If, in the case of divorce, which is not untrue, but uh, Lisa, are you there? Yes, okay, I am. Right, sorry, I can hear you now. Okay, I'm very sorry. I think I had my um, radio up too long. <laughs> no worries. What can we do for you? Um, so I'll try to make this short, but I get very emotional about this. Um. My mom passed away in the height of COVID in a nursing home, sure. March of 2020. Um, she didn't have COVID, though. She had she suffered from Lewy body dementia. Mm. Um, long story short, we, my brother, sister, and I were never, ever notified about the reading of her will. Um contacted my stepfather and he said don't worry about it everything went to me now i know my mom when she had the will made she told me and she had all her faculties then that she was listing my brother sister and i in the will but we've never ever in the last two and a half years been given any notification of what was written in the will well, first of all, I'm very sorry that that happened. Um, it sounds like a very rough situation. If it was, if um, all, what could have happened, right? And I'm speculating here, but if everything was jointly titled or beneficiary designation to your stepfather, then the will would never get admitted to probate. Okay, there would be no need to use okay. the will, which is a way that the will okay. gets circumvented. Now, if that's what your mother really wanted or not, we can't say. Right. One option right. is to d compel production of the will. OK, which is a okay. petition in court to say, hey, I, I think the will should have been probated. 
you know, I don't have enough information, okay. right? And then your stepfather would right. have to come forward and say, this is what happened. Now, that okay. may be of no monetary so, benefit to you ultimately because if everything passed to him by beneficiary designation, you know, it, right. there could be an argue that it, those were invalid or if he did them by power of attorney, let's say, then that would be a real problem, okay? But okay. all of that's speculation because you don't have enough information. Um, right. So there, there's really no way to know in a case like that whether there's there's money at the end of the rainbow or not. But that would be okay. the option available I, to you. I have no desire to look into any monetary gift, mm -hmm. okay? Understood. I simply know in my mother's heart she would have wanted my brother, sister, and I to know what her will said. Sure. And she should have made a copy and given it to us. Sure. But, you know, that's neither here nor there now. Um, but would it be to my benefit to get a an attorney? Because I have a free hour consultation with a family attorney coming up. Would it be to my benefit to take advantage of that? I mean, it'd certainly be advantage of to talk it out and see what maybe the assets were and, you know, to see if there's anything there. Um, okay. But it sounds like to me it would be more investigative in nature because it would be hard to know what went on without mm -hmm. actually filing a court proceeding. Okay. And one last question. She told me she had CDs and IRAs that she had um, produced when her parents passed away, and she had listed my brother, sister, and I as beneficiaries. We haven't got any information on that either. Do you know what company or bank they were with? Yes, I know the bank that she was with. So, I mean, you, I would start there and with a copy of the okay. death certificate because if you were a beneficiary there um they would be able to tell you that that's okay. another one of those situations where you might actually have to get appointed executor to find out if she had those things and what happened um okay so it's complicated but there are avenues available but the first thing i would do is go to the bank and say you know my mother passed away i believe that i was a beneficiary on their account and they should mm -hmm. be able to at least tell you whether I, you I were did do that I did do that, and they said I needed a letter from an attorney for yeah. them to disclose anything. Yeah, letters testamentary. So, I mean, th that's a more complicated process, and we're running out of time. But, um, you know, I think okay. you should talk to somebody okay. and see how that goes. Thank you, Lisa. And I, I think Lisa's example uh, it highlights a lot of, of our cases, right? You have a situation where uh, mother had uh, some value in the estate, remarries. Um, we believe mother wanted that money to flow to her kids. In fact, it goes to the step family. That's right. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening today. Again, if you have a question we didn't get to, give us a call at 518-459-2100 or at info at pierrolaw.com. I'm Aaron Connor, and thank you, Jacob, for joining me. Uh, we're from Pierre O'Connor Strauss. Lou and I will be here next week, and we look forward to talking to you then. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lou. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.